I have a question. How many of you have ever been on a jury before? You ever been called for jury duty, at least gotten the call before? A few of you. Any good stories to share? You can share them upstairs later in the cafe, maybe. I never got called, but I've heard some good ones. And people pretending to be injured and anyway, all this stuff. But I digress. If you were on a jury and you were trying to reach a fair verdict in a trial, there's several things that you would need to see or several things that you'd need to have happen before you could get there. Obviously, getting called for jury duty would be one of them. But once you're there, you'd want to hear the claim that's being made, right? You'd want to hear the allegation. This is what this person did. Here's why we're in court today. You'd also want to hear the defense, right? The other person getting a chance to say, well, actually, here's my side of the story. Can't really make a fair verdict without hearing both of those. You'd also want to look at any evidence that was relevant to the case. And there's another big one. I want you to help me out. You would also look to hear from any potential witnesses. Somebody say witness. You might have seen that word witness in that scripture a number of times, and that's really the theme of what we're talking about today. Because witnesses are a key piece of putting a case together. They can be really, really helpful in solving whatever's going on. And as you guys know, we've been in the Gospel of John. This is actually our 12th week in John. It's been going by really fast. Nobody argue with me on that point. It's been really good so far. And today, the text that we're in is sort of a little bit of a different one. Like up until this point, it's been really story kind of based, narrative based. Jesus went here. Jesus did this thing. He saw these people. And this entire text today is Jesus basically going on a big rip about himself. And if you have a red letter Bible, I think this whole section is in red. So Jesus is talking a lot. And the story kind of pauses. And, and this is an occasion for us to kind of pause and take in everything we've seen. Because Jesus is trying to make a case for us today. We have seen so far in this book a lot of claims made by Jesus or to Jesus or about Jesus. We have seen miracles performed by Jesus. We have seen power displayed by Jesus. And like was mentioned, at the tail end of last week, people were mad at him because he was making himself equal to God. So that's where we pick this up today. And it's an opportunity for us to kind of check ourselves and consider everything we've heard and everything we've seen about Jesus. And it's a cool mix today, like of people even in the room right now, of people who have already accepted Christ. Well, it's a chance for us to consider where we are on this. And some of you guys haven't accepted Jesus yet. And this is a chance for you to consider all these things. So let's make a case together, shall we? Does that sound okay? Yes. Good. All right. And the cool thing is about Jesus, I should say, he doesn't just call us to put blind faith in him, right? You ever heard that? Oh, blind faith. He doesn't call you to that at all. Verse 31 of our text, Jesus says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. He said, you don't even have to take my word for it. There are witnesses to who I am, Jesus says. And I want to talk about six witnesses that we see in that text in John chapter 5 today. So the first one is this. The first witness is Jesus' relationship to the Father. His relationship to the Father. Now, you have to first understand the nature of God is that he has always existed and continues to exist and will always exist in three parts, three persons. God the Father, God the Son, that's Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. We call that the Trinity, right? Somebody say Trinity. Trinity. Excellent. And there's so much about that 
relationship within the three parts of the Trinity that we, we just can't wrap our minds around. We're just not there. But that's the truth nonetheless. We have one God. How many gods do we have? There's one God, three parts. And again, all three of those parts have been together or been in relationship, in harmony from the very beginning. And Jesus is going to appeal to that as he bears witness about himself. So verse 19, you can see a few scriptures on the screen here. We're jumping all around. But verse 19, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. What Jesus is getting at there is he knows the Father. He's aware of the Father. He knows the heart and the movements of his Father. It's kind of hard to know what somebody is doing if you never talk to them, if you're never by them, if you're never texting them or whatever. Well, Jesus is saying, the fact that I know what my Father is doing, that shows me, that shows you that I'm someone you need to pay attention to. Verse 20, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. I love the, the intimacy and the closeness you can kind of hear in that, right? And here's something right there that, that just separates us as regular, ordinary people from Jesus. True or false, as a Christian, well, not true or false, answer me this. Does God show you in your life every single thing that he's doing and every single thing that he's up to in your life? Does he show you that? No. In fact, sometimes... I know you've been here, you're going through something or things are crazy or you're not really sure what's going on and you kind of just throw your hands in the air and say, Lord, I don't know what's going on. It'd be really nice if you showed me the whole plan right now. And sometimes he might. Seems like sometimes though he just says, no, I won't do that. I won't show you the whole plan right now. I want you to trust me because you can only see to here, but I can see the whole thing. I need you to trust me and put your faith in me. So that right there, the fact that Jesus knows all that he's doing that says something about him. Verse 30, Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. That, that reminds us of the attachment, of the commitment, of the relationship there. And in verse 36, Jesus reminds us, the Father has sent me. He has sent. That means he's gone out from him. We were talking, we were hanging out, and he said, go over here and do this thing. The point that I'm trying to make here is that if Jesus came to the earth and he came along and acted in a way that was not in accord with who the Father is and what the Father is like. Like if Jesus came along and said, yeah, I'm from God, pay attention to me, but I'm off this way and, and the Father's doing this, well, then he's not really anybody we should pay attention to because God's not going to contradict himself. God's not going to go against himself. But the reality is when you look at what Jesus does and how Jesus speaks and what's in Jesus' heart and, and all that we can see about him, and you contrast that and compare it to the stuff you see about God all through the scriptures, you realize that it's the very same. It's not like the Father's going this way and Jesus is going this way. They're swimming right in the same direction. And Jesus says, that should tell us something. That proves that I am close to him. I have a relationship from him. I'm from him. Because Jesus is God. Remember, one God, three parts. So we got to pay attention to him. That's the first witness, his relationship to the Father. The second witness, Jesus mentions his works of power. Somebody say power. 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 And you said it powerfully. Good job. He says, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing... 
These works bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And when he talks about these works, the, the works that he's done so far in this Gospel of John, he's turned water into wine. We remember that. He's foreknown people, like he's known people ahead of time before he even really met them. Uh, Nathaniel in, in chapter 1, verse 40-something, and the woman at the well in John 4, he knew them already. And the woman in John 4 says, hey, come see a man who knew everything that I ever did, even though I'd never met him before. That's pretty cool. Jesus healed people. He healed the official son. He healed the guy at the pool last week. All of these things, these works that he's doing, he says, they show you who I really am. That's what Jesus is saying. They're works of God. Because you need to understand, and we've talked about this, God is a God of miracles. God is a God of power. God is a God of strength. He's a God of healing. And Jesus comes along again, and he acts right in line, right in accord with this. And he does things that nobody else can do. I don't know about you, a lot of these, all of these things we've read about Jesus so far, you don't really see people doing them all over the place super, super often. And Jesus even says in verse 20, and greater works than these. Hey, the works I've done so far are pretty cool, but even greater works than these will the Father show him, me. Jesus is saying, you haven't seen anything yet. The stuff I've done is just the tip of the iceberg. And the, the thing about Jesus and miracles is that he didn't come just to do miracles. Like Jesus isn't a party trick or like a sideshow or a circus act. What he's getting at is that the miracles, the works that he's doing prove that he is someone we need to pay attention to. Don't answer this out loud, but are you paying attention to Jesus in your life? Are you regarding him in your life? That's the second witness. The third witness is that Jesus gives life. He gives life. Verse 26 says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. So again, you have to understand about God. Like the God that we believe in, he is a powerful God. He is is forceful. He is weighty. He is mighty. He has existed from eternity past, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's not, you know, getting older and losing his strength or whatever. God is full of life. He is full of vitality. And from his life, from his fullness, God gives life. We can see that all the way from the beginning, first page of scripture. God created everything that there was. He just spoke it into existence, into life, by the word of his power. That's pretty cool. Genesis chapter 2 then talks about how God made humankind. And one of the things that's said in there is that the Lord God breathed the breath of life into us. Isn't that pretty cool? And even from there, like God then says, be fruitful and multiply. We know what that means, friends, right? We know what that means. And even that, even though that's something that humans do, that, that whole process, that whole thing has come from God. What my point is that I'm trying to make is there is no giving of life apart from God. None. No giving of life apart from God. And Jesus comes along and he says, I give life. I give life. Look at verse 25. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So there he's sort of talking about a bodily resurrection, that kind of life giving. And later on, we're going to read about how he raises Lazarus from the dead. Later on, Jesus is going to raise from the dead. 
I think we already sung about this today. There's going to be a day when you and I as Christians are going to raise from the dead. That's the act of Jesus. That's a work of Jesus. Verse 28, he continues that same theme. He says, do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. You can see that this is someone we got to pay attention to here. This all swirls around Jesus. Jesus gives life in other ways as well. What about spiritually? You read in a place like Romans 6.23, a famous verse. It says, the wages of sin is death. How many of you have sinned here today? I mean, maybe you haven't sinned today. I probably have. But you answered the question correctly. We've all sinned, and the result of that, the penalty, the wage for that is death. A spiritual death that, that eventually gives way to a physical death. You've got to just see in there, apart from any act of God, you and I are dead spiritually. Like, it doesn't matter how good of a person you think you are. It doesn't matter how often you go to church. It doesn't matter how loud you sung the hymns this morning. Sidebar, you sounded great. Apart from God, we're, we're spiritually dead. Dead. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Exactly. There's another verse. I didn't put it up there. But John 8, 12. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So Jesus does a work in us to give us life spiritually, to bring us from that place when we're dead and apart from God to, to reconcile and restore us and make us alive in God. Jesus gives life that way. You can see in verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Notice the uh, tense of that word there. It, it doesn't say one day he's gonna have eternal life. That's sometimes how we think about it, right? Oh, I'm here, and then eventually my eternal life is going to start. But look, he says, whoever believes in me has eternal life. That means Jesus has a life for you, and it can start right now and continue on into eternity. Is that good news for somebody today? Good. That person does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. You can see this all going on here. Only God can pronounce that, by the way. Only God can say, you have gone from this state of being spiritually dead and now you're alive. We, we can't say that. We don't have the power to do that work in somebody. Jesus does. So we got to pay attention to him. And I'll say this as well while we're talking about Jesus giving life. That last verse on the bottom there kind of speaks to a quality of life that Jesus can give us too. It's not just, okay, there, I accepted Christ. I surrendered my life to him. Now I'll just sit around and wait until I go to be with him. No, he has a life for you now, right? He has works for you to do now. He has joy and peace for you now. That's why Jesus said, I have come that we may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus has a life for you. And it involves this life in the here and now, not just the eternity, not just the afterlife or the next life. Jesus has presence and power and his spirit for you in this life. And that comes from when we get close to him and abide in him, he gives us this kind of life. The point in all this is Jesus says, all of this giving of life comes from me. We said already, no one can pronounce life outside of God. Jesus is here pronouncing life. That's a witness that he's calling upon for us to make sure we're paying attention to him. Next one. You guys doing okay so far? 
Good. I'm still going on. Next one. Number four, Jesus judges. He judges. This is kind of an interesting one, but it's in several verses in here. Verse uh, 22 says, the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. You ever hear the expression, only God can judge me? People throw that around. I think Miley Cyrus might have sung about it. Not that I know any of her music, but I just heard about it or saw it on the internet somewhere. Yeah, moving rapidly along from that. (laughs) We'll edit that part out. Yes, only God can judge me. That's kind of true. But look what he says. All judgment has been given to the Son, the Son of God. Jesus will judge. He is God. He's someone we've got to pay attention to here. The fact that the Father has given him all judgment, I mean, that's a big responsibility. He's not going to do that for just anybody. He gives it to one who we know can handle that responsibility. Verse 27, he has given him authority, that's the key word, authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. So the the neat thing about this is we're going to be judged one day by the son of man, one who is fully God and fully human. It's not like God is going to judge us and well, that's not fair. You're like not even the same as me and how can you judge me? Oh, but we're being judged by one who has become like us. Jesus is fully man and fully God. Verse 30, Jesus says, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek the will of him who sent me. And in verse 42, kind of going right along with this, Jesus says, I know that you do not have the love of God within you. Well, what does that have to do with judging? Well, you know what it means? He knows your heart. Jesus, it says in Revelation, is the one who searches mind and heart. And because of that, he knows what's in you. He knows what's in here. He knows the works of your hands. He knows everything about you. And therefore, he's able to judge justly. He's not just someone that flew in with no context or no anything. He knows you very deeply. He knows you very intimately. Therefore, he is able to be our judge. And the thing about, I mean, we don't really like to talk about judging too much. But it's really in here way too prominently for us to not talk about. So you need to know, all of life, your life, all of our history as human beings is marching on to one place and one point. It's all going in one direction, and that is the throne of Jesus Christ. It says in Philippians chapter 1, it's a famous verse, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. How many knees, how many tongues? Every. Notice that doesn't say, oh, every Christian will do this. It's every knee. Every single person in the world. Nobody can get around Jesus. Even if you go your entire life without regarding or acknowledging or believing in Jesus, you're still going to end up in front of him one day. And on that day, like it is said in here, we're going to be judged on whether or not we are righteous enough to stand before God. That should probably sound a little bit scary, but there's good news in that. Because it doesn't have to be a bad day for us. I mean, we already said earlier, we've all sinned. We've all separated ourselves from God. We've fallen short of his glory. We have made ourselves unrighteous. How many of us on our own, apart from God, are righteous enough to stand before God? That should be no hands up. You should be like sitting on your hands there, right? But the good news is, that doesn't have to be the end of the story for us, right? 
because Jesus died on the cross. We've celebrated that already this morning. Jesus took on the full weight of our sin on the cross so that it could be paid for and dealt with and finished once and for all. And when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, when you accept Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, when you surrender your life to him, when you repent of your sins and come after him, guess what, friends? You're saved. You're saved. And the really cool thing, what happens there is that Jesus, who lived a righteous life, who is perfect, who is holy, his righteousness gets credited or counted to us as Christians. Is that good? That's good for me because I'm like, if the bar is here, I'm like down in the basement somewhere on my own righteousness, right? But Jesus, the righteous one, he covers me with his righteousness through faith. It's a free gift. And on that day of judgment, when we stand before Jesus, if you have been saved by him, he will look at you and not see all the terrible, sinful, unrighteous things you have done. He will see that you are covered in his righteousness. That is going to be a good day for us. But it needs to be said, friends, the other way too. For a person who has never put their faith in Jesus Christ, on that day of judgment, they're not covered in his righteousness. And they will be left to hope that their own righteousness is enough. And it never is. Not one of us can say that about ourselves. And on that day, we will be judged. And those who do not have faith in Jesus Christ, those who have never been cleansed and saved by Jesus Christ, will be cast out. You need to know, friends, all this talk of judgment, like hell is a real place. We don't talk about it very much, but it's a real place. And it's a tragic place, but you don't have to go there. That doesn't have to be your faith because Jesus is inviting you to put your faith and your trust in him and to be covered by his righteousness. But the point is this. There's going to come a day when Jesus is going to judge the world. And that serves as a witness for us that we need to be paying attention to who he is. Again, I will ask you not to be answered out loud. Are you acknowledging? Are you regarding? Are you trusting Jesus in your life? Are you paying attention? Because he is trying to bear witness. Two more witnesses to go. Excuse me. Number five is John the Baptist. With some gusto, say John the Baptist. That was cool. That was really cool. You know, we've talked about John the Baptist a number of times already in this series. He was a very prominent figure early on in this book. So I'll just read these verses as a quick recap. Jesus says, there's another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, John the Baptist, and he has borne witness to the truth. You'll remember that was the whole thing. He came and he said about one million times, I'm bearing witness. I'm not the Christ. He's coming. He's somebody else. He bore witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man. Jesus says, I don't, I don't need some person to approve of me. But he says, I say these things so that you may be saved. He says these things so that we can understand who he is and respond accordingly. He, John, was a burning and shining lamp. And you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Remember we talked about him. People would flock to see John. He was this powerful man of God doing these works of God. But, Jesus says, the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. People really regarded the testimony of John pretty strongly in that day. 
Again, he was a powerful witness. He actually, his life was the fulfillment of prophecy that was several hundred years old before he was born. Like John, someone we got to pay attention to. And we've talked about him. Matter of fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, of all the people who have been born in this world, apart from Jesus, John the Baptist is the greatest that's ever lived. I'm just saying, if Jesus says that, we got to listen. We got to listen up. We got to pay attention. John had a reputation. His life was one of, of promises and prophecy and, and power all intersecting together. So we got to pay attention to him. I'm going to just assume that you guys remember all that we said and all that we read and all that we talked about, about John the Baptist. If, you, if not, go back and read the first three chapters of John, this gospel, because it's all through there. He testifies about who Jesus is. Finally, number six, one more witness to go. And this witness being called to the stand is the scriptures. One last time, say the scriptures. Now, some people would see this and say, well, there's a fallacy in the logic here. You can't appeal to the scriptures, which is this Jesus book. You can't appeal to the Jesus book to make claims that Jesus is real or he's true or he's God or whatever. That doesn't make sense. But actually it does. Because when you consider the Bible, friends, this right here, I mean, there's not enough I could say about it. This is the single greatest piece of liter uh, literature of litter. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> oh, listen, I've said lots of dumb things. That's probably in the top five. <laughs> literature. Literature, people. Come on. <laughs> I don't know if I can go on. This work right here, this writing right here. Oh, my word. This book, listen to me, the Bible was written across many, many, many generations, hundreds of years, different cultures, different authors, different languages, and yet the claims that it makes and the history that it preserves are still accurate. There is no way that this book could have just been written merely by people who just said, I think that I'll write a novel today. No, this is God's word. Do you believe this is God's word today? Yes, it is not litter, friends. Please hear me, Lord. Oh, my word. Anyway, Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. So you remember, the people that he was talking to, they were the religious leaders, the Jewish people. And they looked to the Old Testament, to the law, to the old scriptures, because they said, if we really adhere to what's in there, we're going to be righteous. We're going to be alive through those things. And Jesus says, you read them thinking that's where your life comes from, but it's those same scriptures that bear witness about me, he says. The scriptures are all about Jesus. Listen, there are many things in this book right here, but you need to understand this whole thing is about and points to Jesus Christ. That's what this work is. That's what this word is right here. Now, obviously, it's good for us to know the scriptures, but a good sidebar here is Jesus isn't calling you just to read this word and then move on and whatever. Should you read the scriptures? Yes, you should, but you don't read them just to read them. You read them so that you can come to know and love and understand and appreciate Jesus better. That's what we're being called to there. Jesus continues and he says, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. I don't even need to, he says, because there's one who does accuse you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Remember, again, these religious leaders, we talked about this last week, they were putting their hope in the law, who, who uh, from a human author standpoint, who wrote the law? Moses, 
they were laying, they're putting all their eggs in that basket, all their hope in, in fulfilling the law. But Jesus says, if you believed Moses, you'd believe me, for he wrote of me. That's what the whole law is about. That's what the whole law is pointing to. But if you don't believe his writings, how will you believe my words, he says. Jesus says, Moses would tell you you were wrong. I don't even need to tell you that you're wrong. Because if you're reading the scriptures and you're going a different direction from it, pointing you and leading you and drawing you into more faithful, loving relationship, walk, service, obedience to Jesus, you're missing the point. But the point is there, again, that this single greatest piece of literature in the history of the world is all about him. That should tell us something, friends. We got to be paying attention. Jesus is not someone that you should just sidestep in your life. Now, we're going to slowly begin to bring this in. I should have hopped out with the parachute five minutes ago when I called the Bible litter, but anyway, we're still going. The case has been made, okay? We've gone through a lot of what Jesus has said in that long text in John chapter 5. The case has been made, the witnesses have been presented, and now it comes time for the decision. But here's where things are different than on the regular jury. Jesus has kind of been on the stand, right? But it's now not, what, what we're not doing now is deciding his fate. What we're doing now is we're deciding our fate. This decision that needs to be made pertains to us. Jesus says, I don't receive glory from people. He doesn't need the approval of any of us. He is alive and well, ruling and reigning, enthroned in heaven. He's doing just fine independent of us altogether. He says, I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. Right? There was a lot of resistance from the people he was speaking to. There's still a lot of resistance in the world today to that. He says, if another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. Right? How often we do that as people. Anyone that comes along claiming to be somebody or they seem like they're cool or they seem to be someone that we like or they'd be beneficial to us if we know them. We receive what they're saying easily enough. But he says, why don't you receive my testimony? He says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Look, again, we spend our days in this life just trying to get ahead and receive approval from people and make sure that everybody likes us and make sure that, that we're doing well and everyone pays attention to us and everyone glorifies us. Jesus is saying, don't miss the point here. It's not about you. Life is about God. Life is not about getting ahead. It's about getting to the Lord, friends. Now, we just need to understand our fate, our fate, and I'll explain what I'm saying. Our fate comes down to what you say and believe about Jesus Christ. So here's what I would say. If you are not a Christian yet, if you have never surrendered your life to Jesus he is calling you to that. He is calling you to believe. You've heard the witnesses. You've seen the scriptures. He's calling your name. He wants you to believe and accept and surrender your life to him and trust in him and be saved by him through faith. His heart for you, in verse 23, it says, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. You know what? Like Ultimately, that's the loftiest goal in this life that Jesus has for us. It's a life of worship. It's a life of honoring and exalting the Lord. That's ultimately what he's calling us to. But don't be the person that it says there, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Look, there's a lot of people that have some loose belief in God 
or they've attended church or they've done whatever, that's not enough, friends. You need to honor and regard and accept the son. It comes down to what you say and believe about Jesus. Don't be the person like it says about in verse 37 and 8. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Don't be the person that rejects and resists Jesus. Don't be the person that refuses to come to him, that you may have life. Jesus has a life for you. Again, it starts in the here and now. He wants to save you and make you new and restore you and reconcile you and put his spirit in you. And he has a plan and a hope and a future for you. Don't resist that. Accept it. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ and be saved by him. Even as Christians, friends, I'd say this too. Will you honor Jesus? Verse 23. Because there's a difference, and I've seen this in my life as a believer. I've been a believer for 17-some years. Some of you, it's been longer than that. There's a difference. There's a functional difference between Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I mean, that's there. There's a difference between just that, just some mental assent to Jesus, and actively seeking to honor him, actively seeking to pursue him, actively seeking to be in relationship with him, actively seeking to please him, actively seeking to further your relationship with him. We've talked on and on as a church for a couple of years now that the life Jesus has for us is one of walking with him. So let's not be a people who, yeah, we, we claim the name of Jesus and we're saved and that's great, but that's about where it stops. No, friends, let's sink our teeth into the life that he has for us. Let's seek him and pursue him and go after him. You might have to take up your cross and deny yourself and follow him, but he has a life for you. He has a future for you. And that's going to carry through all of this life and into the next for eternity. But the choice ultimately is ours. Regardless of where you're at on any of this, the choice is yours. Will you choose Jesus or not? Will you choose to pursue him and honor him and seek him, be saved by him? Because ultimately, he is Lord. He is worthy. He is to be honored. He is to be revered and respected and praised and obeyed and acknowledged and regarded and worshiped. He has a life for us.